Let us pray. Father, we believe that all Holy Scripture is written for our learning, and so we pray now by your Spirit that we would so hear, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest this, your holy word, that we would be changed more and more to be like Jesus for the sake of the world. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to be seated. Jonah is the funniest person in the Bible. He really is, especially if we understand how humor works. Jonah is the funniest person in the Bible. And over this series we walk through together, I'm going to show you just how funny he really is. Even just the first 16 verses of Jonah chapter 1, beginning at verse 1, we hear that now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. He went to Joppa and found a ship that was Going to Tarshish, he paid fare, went down into the ship with them to go to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest, and the ship was threatening to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each one called out to his own God, and they hurled the cargo on the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner parts of the ship, laid down, and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said, what do you mean, O sleeper? Arise, get up, call upon your God. Perhaps the God will take notice of us that we may not perish. Then they said to one another, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot landed on Jonah. And they said, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where are you from? What is your country and of what people are you? And he said, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said, what is this you are doing? For they knew that he was fleeing from the Lord, for he had told them. So they said to him, what shall we do to you that we may have the sea quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said, pick me up and hurl me in the sea. And the sea will quiet down for you. For I know that it is because of me that this mighty tempest has come upon us. Nevertheless, they continued to row hard to get back to the dry land, but they could not because the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord. O oh Lord, let not this man's life make us perish. Lay not 
innocent blood on us for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. And they picked up Jonah and hurled him in the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they made offering to the Lord and made vows. The word of the Lord, thanks be to God. See, Jonah is the funniest person in scripture. And I I say that if we understand how humor works. See, here's how comedy works. It's funny and we laugh because we can relate to it. We laugh because it's like a mirror being held up to our own failures and foibles. That's why we laugh, because it connects with real life. And so does Jonah's story. Uh, For example, humor connecting with our lives. It's Mother's Day. I do not write this to my mother in a Mother's Day card, don't worry. But you will laugh at some of this because it's relatable, because it connects with your real life. My mom taught me so much. Didn't yours? My mom taught me about religion. You'd better pray this comes out of the carpet. (laughs) About irony. Stop crying or I'll give you something to cry about. My mother taught me about globalization. There are starving children in the world that would love your liver and onions. My mother taught me about anticipation. Just wait till your father gets home. (laughs) My mother taught me about humor. If you break your legs falling out of that tree, don't come running to me. (laughs) My mother taught me about love. I'll never stop loving you, but don't think I haven't considered murder. (laughs) And my mom taught me about justice. One day you'll have kids, and I hope they turn out just like you. See, we laugh because it relates to us. It mirrors back something in us that touches on the truth. And so it is with Jonah. And that's why he is, I would argue, the most comedic character in all of Scripture. He's the funniest person in the Bible. He's a fool. He's a clown. And yet he's graced by God. He's a fool and he's a clown and yet God's grace is evidently on him just like you and me. See, Jonah does everything wrong over these next four chapters, gets into disastrous trouble and yet still remains the Lord's beloved and chosen and becomes one of the most successful prophets in all of scripture. He converts an entire city. Jonah is Israel and Jonah is you and I as well. That's why we need this comedic story of Jonah. Here's what we'll see in these first 16 verses as we begin this series this morning. Here's hope for those of us who find ourselves at times Fleeing from the Lord? Well, in these 16 verses, here's what we see. Here's hope. We see the word of the Lord on Jonah's life rejected. He turns from it completely. But not only do we see the word of the Lord rejected, we see the word of the Lord relentless. 
pursuing Jonah, not giving up on Jonah. And finally, not only do we see the word of the Lord rejected, yet relentless, but we see the word of the Lord on Jonah's life actually realized. It comes to fruition, at least in part. See, first we see the word of the Lord on Jonah's life rejected. Verse 1, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. And we need to stop there just for one moment first and remember what it means that the word of the Lord comes into a person's life. This is not just a bit of advice or a bit of direction or a little bit of news about something that's coming down the road. No, the word of the Lord is the same word through which creation was formed. When creation is formed, it is through the word of the Lord spoken over. Nothingness creating somethingness. Over death bringing life. Creating. The word of the Lord is always this creative, performative, effective action agent in life. Everything comes into fruition through the word of the Lord. As John chapter 1 tells us, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him. The word of the Lord comes into Jonah's life to create something new to give life, to sustain a life. And what is Jonah's response? Well, first, the Lord calls him to go to Nineveh, the Assyrian capital. And what is Jonah's response? Verse three, so Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. Now, to understand just how much of a rebellion this is, you need to realize that Nineveh is east and Tarshish is directly west. This is not some circuitous course he's taking to get to Nineveh. He is fleeing to Tarshish. Three times fleeing to Tarshish, we're told in verse three. Why? Why does this mature prophet, we'll see in a moment, this, this prophet who's been doing this for some time knows what he's doing. Why would he flee at the word of the Lord? Is he afraid of what the Assyrians might think? You might think that in the first few verses. You think, oh, he doesn't want to go because he's afraid of what the Assyrians will do. And that would make sense in the first few verses, but when you read the whole book, you'll realize, get to chapter four, Jonah is not fearful that the Assyrians will reject his message. Jonah is fearful in chapter four that the Assyrians will accept his message. He's fearful that this enemy nation will actually accept the grace of God. Jonah is fleeing to Tarshish, not just because he's afraid, but because he does not agree with the Lord. Jonah, specifically, we're told, is fleeing from the presence of the Lord. That's what verse 3 says. It's a phrase that's used three times, twice in verse 3 and once in verse 10. Fleeing from the presence of the Lord, the pene, the face of the Lord. Think about it in the terms of an Israelite longing to have nothing more but to bask before the face and sight of the Lord, right? Numbers chapter six, the greatest blessing that could be offered. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. This is what it means to be before the face of the Lord. And Jonah wants to run 
from the face of the Lord. He wants to flee from the presence of the Lord. And you've got to say, okay, hold on, Jonah. You're a mature prophet. You've got your doctrinal studies down. How can you flee from a God who is omnipresent and omniscient? Jonah doesn't pretend that God can actually be fled from. He's not imagining that somehow Psalm 139 doesn't apply. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Jonah knows that he can't flee from God's omniscience. He's not fleeing from God realistically. He's fleeing from God relationally. He's saying, I do not want you and your word in my life right now. I want to create my own life. I want to create my own destiny. And you may say, that sounds crazy. Why would this mature prophet want to defy and reject the Lord and run from him? Well, let's remember a little bit about Jonah. In 2 Kings chapter 14, we learn a bit about Jonah. We find out, in fact, that Jonah is a successful prophet. Under King Jeroboam II, Jonah was his key prophet. We're told in verse 25 of 2 Kings chapter 14 that Jeroboam II was expanding the territory of Israel. Never, you know, never ignore the fact that he was considered an evil king of Israel. We'll get to that some other time. But the point is that this king is expanding his empire. He's taking back lands that were captured. He's extending the borders. And we're told he's doing it all at the word of Jonah, the son of Amittai. This guy is at the top of his profession. He is at the very pinnacle. He has got the king's ear in a nation that is expanding its empire. Can you imagine more success, more status, more ambition realized in his life? He's got everything he believes God has been calling him to. And then God says, go to Nineveh. Go to the enemy capital and preach that they would convert. And Jonah says, not on your life. Do you see the challenge with Jonah? And friends, if you don't see yourself in Jonah, then you're not looking carefully enough in the mirror. Do you not see that when we find so much space for our own ambition and our own plans and our own sense of this is what I'm called to do in my life, that there is no room left for the word of the Lord to come and enter in? There's no room left. We are rejecting that creative word that comes in. In fact, what we're doing in full rebellion is saying, I'm going to create my own life, my own future. And we will even have the audacity to sprinkle a little bit of religiosity on top of it. I'm doing it for God. Do we have room in our lives? Do we have rooms in our plans, in our ambitions, in our dreams, in our view of what I'm supposed to be doing with my life? Do we have room for the word of God to speak in? You know, Monica and I, when we were in college, we had two friends who were very close to us, really close. And they were not just friends, they were kind of spiritual mentors to us. They were our age, but they were just longer in the faith and they would correct our behavior at times. They, they'd correct our beliefs and, and we received it. It was a great kind of relationship, this beautiful kinship, but they were kind of our mature mentoring peers. But over time, slowly we saw them begin to switch the role with us and their behavior and their beliefs shifted and ours got stronger. And in time, they just wandered away from the church 
and wandered away from the faith. At some point along the way, like Jonah, they rose to flee to Tarshish, to flee from the presence of the Lord. And I don't share that in any kind of sense of condemnation. The Lord knows their hearts. Judge not, lest ye be judged, Matthew 7. I say it not as a word of condemnation, but as a word of caution. That all of us are Jonah. All of us have that ability to become so convinced that I know what's best for how I'm called to serve my family. No, you don't. I know what's best for how I'm called to serve in my workplace and my vocation. No, you don't. I know best how I'm called to serve my God. No, you do not. There is only one who knows best. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Jonah rejects the word of the Lord in his life. (laughs) Jonah's life and will is in a collision course with God's will. And it seems like Jonah wins out. Well, it seems, doesn't it? Not for long. For we're told not only that is the word of God rejected here in these first 16 verses, but the word of the Lord is relentless. Verse four, in comes the storm and the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a great tempest on the sea and the ship threatened to break up. It's actually one of the funny moments in the Hebrew uh, since we're talking about this comedic book because the ship is actually personified. The ship effectively says, I'm thinking about breaking up here. As one commentator says, it's the ship warning the sailors, I'm about to become a nervous wreck. You'll laugh later. Or it's just not that funny. But the point is that the storm comes as a severe mercy to take this fleeing prophet and bring him back on track. God is relentless for the sake of his children, his running children, his lost children, his fleeing children. Even though we flee in anger and even total rebellion and rejection, he comes with his merciful storms and says, will you come back? I love George Herbert, the Anglican poet, who says this of storms. I think this is great. I mean, this is like tattoo worthy. Um, I'm not suggesting you get a tattoo. Don't go home on Mother's Day like, mom, Father Paul said get a tattoo. Um, But this is totally tattoo worthy if you're going to get a tattoo. George Herbert, poets, he says, poets have wronged poor storms. Such days are best. They purge the air without and within the breast. Elsewhere, Herbert says, storms are the triumph of God's art. Storms are the triumph of God's art. And you may say, that's pushing it, isn't it, a little bit? I mean, come on. Storms being the triumph of God's art? Well, tell me this. When's the last time you made a major course correction in your life because of an abundance of comfort? When's the last time you made a massive course correction in your life because you said, everything is just going so great right now. I really should reevaluate my whole life. No, it's in the midst of the storm that we are woken, awakened. 
And it will take a mighty tempest sometimes to overcome mighty treachery and treason as it is for this prophet. I love how the captain of the ship has to come down into the bowels of the ship and say, what does this mean? Oh, sleeper, oh, rise. Call out to your God. The pagan sailor captain is asking the prophet to pray. Here's what's interesting about his sleep. The sleep that's described here is not just a normal sleep. And don't think for a minute that this is some kind of version of Jesus sleeping in the midst of the sea storm. I mean, it sounds kind of similar, right? You think, oh, Jonah's just so faithful, he's just gonna have a nap. That's not how to interpret this text. Jonah is not faithful whatsoever. Jonah, we're told, in a very specific Hebrew word, is in a deep sleep. Literally, the margin notes in the Hebrew say he's snoring. But specifically, this is the same sleep that God brought upon Adam when he surgically removed the rib to make Eve. This is bringing someone to a place of near death. Surgical sleep, which is so close to death. Why? Why is Jonah almost dead asleep? Because God wants us to see that when we flee from his word, we try to create our own lives, our own futures with our own ambitions. When those ambitions come crashing down, it will not just be distress or despair or disappointment or even depression. It will be a kind of death we experience. And you know what I'm talking about. Those moments when we try to build a life apart from God and we say, I've got it all together. And then it all comes crashing down. It's not just a little bit of distress. It's like death dying there in the bowels of the ship. Don't worry, he'll be in the bowels of the whale tomorrow, next Sunday, but we'll get to that next Sunday. But for now, he's dying in the depths of this ship in his sinful rebellion. But thanks be to God, we have a God who is in the habit, has the character, has the commitment to raise the dead. Not just once, but again and again. Listen to the captain's words. They sound almost identical to the Lord's call in chapter two. Arise, O sleeper. Sleeper, arise. This kind of death has come on from you rebellion, but I have come that you would have life and have it abundantly, that you would rise to new life. Sleeper, arise. You know, it's interesting in my office when I counsel people sometimes about vocation or directions they wish they'd taken or they feel God's calling them to. A lot of times people can talk as if they kind of missed the boat in Jonah terms. They, they missed the opportunity. Like, yeah, God was calling me that, but I, I rejected, I ran from it. And I guess it just, it's, it's too far gone. And sometimes that person in my office is 23 years old. I'm like, how do you think you've ruined your life so far? But the point is it feels that way, doesn't it? It can feel like we've rejected and run from God's call and therefore it's over. We're, we're done with, we, we've missed the opportunity, but God's word stands firm. What he has spoken over us remains creative and faithful. He comes to us even in our death sleep, in our sinful rebellion and says, no matter how long it's been, sleeper arise. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. See, we see in these first 16 verses, not only is the word of the Lord over Jonah's life rejected, it's relentless. But it's even realized, and this is how the story becomes so 
hilarious. It's realized in part. What was the call? To go to Nineveh and call out upon this pagan nation that they would repent, that they would turn around. Well, guess what happens? The prophet barely opens his mouth and the entire ship of pagans is converted. Yes, that's what it says. For in verse nine, it's the first time Jonah's ever spoken in the text. He hasn't spoken yet. Finally, he says, when they put him to the test, who are you? Listen to those identity questions. Who are you? Where are you from? What is your occupation? Of what people are you? And he finally has to own it. He says, I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord. Now, it's interesting he says, I fear the Lord. We can struggle sometimes in scripture with that language of fearing the Lord. You know, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We say, what exactly does that mean? Like, am I to stand petrified before God? No, fear is awe. Fear is a holy obedience. Fear is, fear of the Lord is fearing him beyond fearing anything else in the world that would seek to terrify us. It's saying he is the mighty one. He is the one that we're to put our trust in. Fear throughout scripture, fearing the Lord, and certainly in the book of Jonah, means putting your trust in Jesus, putting your trust in the Lord. Fearing the Lord is trusting the Lord, putting your faith in him. Jonah says, I'm a Hebrew. I trust the Lord. I believe in the Lord. And he uses the divine name, the Lord, Adonai, Yahweh, the name given to Moses in Exodus 3, the personal name of God. He calls himself a God-fearer, a Yahweh-fearer. And here's what happens. He barely speaks this word. And in verse 14, the sailors are praying to Yahweh. The first prayer offered in this book is off pagan lips, not Jonas. They cry out in verse 14, O Yahweh, O Lord, let not, let not us perish for this man's life. Lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, Yahweh, have done as you choose. They have more faith in God's ability to be sovereign than this Jewish prophet. What happens? You notice in verse 16, It says, after they pick up Jonah and hurl him in the sea, and the sea gets still, it says, then they feared the Lord exceedingly. And it means exactly what it sounds like it means. Then they really believed in Yahweh. The men on that ship really believed. They made sacrifices to the Lord, to Yahweh, by name, And they made vows, just in case you think it was sort of a temporary, like, get us out of this storm. No, they made vows. They said, this is our life going forward. We will now serve the Lord, the Lord of this crazy, clownish prophet Jonah. And you gotta ask why. Why could it be? How could it be that Jonah so unfaithful, Jonah so reluctant, Jonah such a fool and such a clown, how such a mighty conversion could take place. And the answer is always the same. Because something greater than Jonah is here. You know, it's interesting. I'll talk more about it next week. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus talks about Jonah. Jesus says, uses actually the being in the whale image as an image of the resurrection. But then he says that on the last day, the men of Nineveh will stand up at judgment and condemn all y'all because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and so many don't. And then he says, and something greater than Jonah is here. 
See, friends, the book of Jonah, like every book of the Bible, is not really about Jonah. It's always about Jesus. As he says in Luke chapter 24, it all points to me. It all points to Jesus. And so it is in our lives, your life. Every single moment, every single season of your life is not really about you. You're not the main character of the story. It's always about Jesus. Jesus at work in you. In your life, in Jonah's life, in my life. As we go out at his performative word, following, going in faith, we will see his word realized, not because we figured it out, not because we're competent, not because we're so holy and mighty, we're not. But because in us, by grace through faith, something greater than Jonah is here, wherever we go. I close with this, that we've all got our running from God stories, right? We could sit around and share them. I've got many in my life. It doesn't happen once, it happens a lot, at least for me it does. But I remember when I was a new believer, like brand new believer, I'm talking days after my conversion when I was 17. Atheism to Christianity, I'm a brand new believer. And I'll tell you to this day, I had a call from God to be a preacher, like right there. And it was weird, it seemed strange. Like I walked out of that moment of conversion going, well, I'm a Christian now and I think I'm gonna be a preacher. And I mean, thinking about that, it's like, who says that? But that's what was in my head, that was in my heart. The word of the Lord was being spoken over me and I, I, I tried to live into it. I had people speaking into my life and confirming it. And then I met this lovely woman and we were dating and I really liked her. In fact, I loved her. And along the way, early on in dating, I said to her, you know, just putting it out there, I'm thinking I might be a pastor one day. And she said, there's no way I'll ever be a pastor's wife. (laughs) And I logged that data point. I went, okay. And I went to the Lord and said, okay, you have got this call for me to be a preacher. And I got this girl you brought in my life and I love her and I'm choosing the girl. And so I did. And I repressed the call and said, forget about it. And it was four years of agony, constantly struggling with this call. And there were three months into marriage and we're sitting in a little tiny apartment and I'm on the floor in the apartment complaining like I did every Sunday because we would have tried out a new church because we could never find a church that would satisfy me because I'd come home and I'd say the pastor did this wrong and they did this wrong in the worship and I just ripped everything apart and she said when are you going to stop criticizing the pastors and go off to seminary and be one and I said uh, 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 excuse me data points four years ago you said and I quote I will never be a pastor's wife and she said I didn't say that I said yes you did au contraire I remember where we were standing I think I can remember the date and the time and how the breeze felt. It was logged in my memory for four years. You said it. She said, well, if I said it, I didn't mean it. I said, I've been carrying that for four years. And she says, you don't need to carry it any longer. (laughs) And the next day I quit my job and I said, I got to see about seminary. And it turns out she did turn out to be a pastor's wife. It was a two-way call. Don't you see how funny Jonah's life is? Don't you see how funny your life is? Jonah is hilarious 
because he's a fool and he's a clown and he gets everything wrong at times and yet he's graced and beloved by God just like you and me. You and I have the word of God spoken over our life. I know that he speaks his word over each and every one of his children. He has spoken to you. The question is, have you risen to flee to Tarshish? Or will you go, arise, and go to Nineveh, as the Lord has called you? Will you go? And you may say, well, how can I go? I mean, look at me. I'm a fool. I'm a clown, just like Jonah. Well, guess what? As you go, you will find fruit and you will find success in that calling, not because you're competent, not because you're amazing, not because you're so good. But as you go, just like with Jonah, you can know for a certainty as you go on mission at the call of the word of God, Something greater than Jonah is here. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.